HSBC agrees with Greenpeace and the thousands of people who have contacted us and we have replied to that rainforests need to be safeguarded from destruction with protection for local people and the rare species dependent on them. That's Stuart Gulliver, chief executive of banking giant HSBC, delivering a promise, namely that the bank will stop financing companies that chop forests and run locals off their land to grow palm oil. That we have no interest in financing illegal operations, land clearance by burning, the destruction of high conservation value areas like rainforest, harmful child labor, forced labor, or other activities violating the rights of local communities. It's a promise he made one year ago, in January of 2017. Five months later, the Environmental Investigation Agency found out that HSBC and three other banks, namely ABN AMRO, ING, and Rabobank, were, in fact, lending money to a Chinese company called Noble Group, which was, in fact, chopping forests and running small farmers off their land to grow palm oil. They gave the evidence to Greenpeace, who gave it to all four banks and went public. ABN AMRO, ING, and Rabobank have been pretty silent on the issue, but HSBC's response was epic, and today we'll hear what they did and how it impacted Noble Group. We'll also compare Noble to another Chinese company, Kofco, which has been sourcing its palm oil and soy the right way, without destroying forests or pushing poor people off their land. As today's guest, Jonathan Leonard, puts it, Kofco has been walking the path of light, while Noble walked the path of darkness. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know it's ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth, we broke it, we own it, and nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields, and not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet, or is nature itself the answer? That's the question we address in every episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. And today we explore a recurring theme, namely how decisions you make at the supermarket can reverberate across the world and impact forests on the other side of the Earth. If you're a regular listener, you know that consumer-facing companies like Mars and Unilever have pledged to purge deforestation from their supply chains. And today we hear what happens when a company breaks its promises. If you heard episode 22, you know that the system we'll be exploring today isn't perfect and it needs to improve. Today's story is, unfortunately, the exception to the rule. But it shows how actions taken by environmental watchdogs, major banks, and consumer-facing companies punished a company that embarked on the path of darkness and rewarded a company that embarked on the path of light. Our guide on these two paths is Jonathan Leonard, an associate with the Forest Trends Supply Change Initiative, which tracks the progress companies are making towards keeping their environmental promises. The 
two companies that we are going to talk about today are a company called Kofco, which is the Chinese Cereals Corporation. And that is headquartered in Beijing, worth about 400 billion um, yuan. And Noble Group, the second company, is headquartered in Hong Kong, and it is worth just over 300 billion yuan. Um, so in terms of size, they are relatively comparable, both certainly big mega corporations. But, Steve, did you know that the two companies are actually relatives of one another? You mentioned that the last time we talked, and I don't remember the relationship. One's a spinoff or something, right? Kind of. In 2015, one of Noble Group's businesses, which was called Noble Agri, which is an agricultural trader, was sold to Kafka, and it became Kafka Agri. That company used to fall under the umbrella policies of the Noble Group, and then starting in 2015, that same company now falls under the policies and branding of the Kafka Group. I'll call these two com- these two companies um, cousins because uh-huh. um, you know they're related. They're very similar. They both trade in all four of the commodities that we track. They're of similar size. Um, they've actually had some uh, inbreeding here. <laughs> uh, so so here we go. We've got the two the two cousins walking down the path. So up till now, they've been extremely similar, mm-hmm. uh, or they've been we've been presenting them as such. And here is where the similarities end and we see these companies start to go down um, extremely different paths. Mm-hmm. First, we, I want to talk about Kafka. Mm-hmm. So Kafka takes it upon itself to become one of the first Chinese firms in the world to begin engaging strongly in the uh, commodity-linked deforestation um, narrative. And, and this company really went above and beyond, you know, because there's the kind of standard boilerplate commitments that most you, you can kind of just get on board with relatively easily. But Kafka really went beyond that. And um, they're like showing up for all of these conferences at the World Economic Forum, becoming a real thought leader in this industry and um, adding specificity to their commitment, which a lot of other groups don't. <laughs> Specificity is one of these terms you'll hear a lot on this show. It basically means making specific promises that can be measured and verified, usually with a clear deadline, as opposed to just promising to do good. Kafka's mainly into soy. So the big, the big thing with the Brazilian soy has been like protection of the Amazon, right? There was a thing called the soy moratorium, which was quite successful. However, all this emphasis on the Amazon has caused what we call leakage, mm-hmm. which means that deforestation has just like moved outside of that biome and into the surrounding areas. So one of these surrounding areas that is of, of concern now and, and receiving too little attention is called the Cerrado. Mm-hmm. And... Kafka has become one of the only companies, not just the only Chinese companies, one of the only companies to specifically talk about their how they're going to protect the Cerrado. Yeah. So they you say Cerrado, it's Cerrado, isn't it? Portuguese. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cerrado, Cerrado. Cerrado. Uh, <laughs> al lado del Cerrado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, and the, the Cerrado is a, it's like a prairie area. I tend to, I've never been there, but that's my understanding. It's kind of like, it's not exactly, it's not like the Amazon with, you know, thick, lush trees everywhere, but it does have trees, and it is a very fragile ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. 
So this is just one of the ways that the that the company has really decided that it's gonna it's gonna be really proactive, and it and it's it's even rarer because it hasn't really been stung. You know, usually this kind of activity is because a watchdog finds a company doing something nefarious, right? And so they gets on them, and then they say, "Oh God, we got to change." But Kafka actually, it wasn't one of those. They just mm-hmm decided they were going to be a leader in this field and they've really come out strong and so they've walked the path of light and noble is uh, the path of darkness i guess right or are we not there noble yet? is the path of darkness and we are there so noble despite having sold their agri trading company to kafka so that's essentially the the company that scoops up the the goods from the farmers and then redistributes it to to whoever needs it, like the manufacturers and stuff. But Noble also had a segment of their company which they did not sell, which was actually growing crops, right? So this is their plantation segment. It's called Noble Plantations. Mm-hmm. And at the same time that Kafka was being a good little company and uh, deciding that it was going to really be a thought leader in this in this area, Noble was illegally clearing forest mm-hmm. and that's not uncommon a lot of companies do this mm-hmm. um but every once in a while kind of a watchdog group will catch wind of this and if they can gather enough information together they can they can blow it open and they can cause a real problem for these companies so in this case the watchdog is the environmental investigation agency mm-hmm. um which if you're not familiar with them they are not a government agency which is very confusing but they are what amounts to what i'd say is environmentalist spies mm-hmm. uh, they discovered that uh noble plantations was clearing um tens of thousands of of hectares illegally then the question was all right what do we what do we do about that like who do we who can we share this information with that will actually have an impact or even matter so environmental investigation agency being more of like a spy organization they're not really public facing they don't really approach approach people or try to get consumers on board or anything so they turn to a a group that is more geared towards that type of behavior which is greenpeace which i'm i'm sure our listeners are familiar with they do heaps heaps of different things um but they're very much more uh, public facing than a spy group such as the Environmental Investigation Agency. Steve, what do you think? What do you think Greenpeace can do? Right? They can. They've got a. They've got a microphone. But who's listening? Well, I know we we need to worry about consumers. That's the big thing. But the big, the missing piece. Uh, one of the one thing that came up in Tropical Forest Alliance 2020's ten points was uh, finance flows, and I I suspect that's where we're headed right now because I did write an article about this a while back. <laughs> right? That's exactly where we're headed. That's okay. exactly where we're headed. So Greenpeace, they decide to look up who, who has put up money for Noble Plantations operations, right? Who paid into this fiasco? And they came up with uh, six different banks that have paid into this um, at varying to varying degrees and through varying channels. Um and they they contacted each of these banks and essentially put them on the spot for being like one of your clients is causing these problems. What are you going to do about it? So this is something that's happened a lot in the past, actually. And usually the response is just crickets. You know, bank either either doesn't respond at all or makes some sort of very fluffy corporate statement. And then that's it. But this is different. This is the reason why we're talking about this story today is because that did not happen. And in fact, something more substantial happened. 
HSBC, the uh, English bank, had recently been under so much pressure from instances like this that they actually created a policy document with guidelines about the plantation and agricultural businesses that they approve of and that they are allowed to invest in. They outline the things that a company can do to exclude them from becoming a client of HSBC. This is huge. The company didn't just issue a statement like a lot of these guys do, but it published a detailed policy document, and then Chief Executive Stuart Gulliver quite publicly committed to enforcing the policy. HSBC agrees with Greenpeace and the thousands of people who have contacted us and we have replied to that rainforests need to be safeguarded from destruction with protection for local people and the rare species dependent on them. Our 2014 Agricultural Commodities Policy made it clear that we have no interest in financing illegal operations, land clearance by burning, the destruction of high conservation value areas like rainforest, harmful child labour, forced labour or other activities violating the rights of local communities. So we support customers making credible efforts to meet high sustainability standards, but we close relationships with those who are not. We take our policy commitments seriously. We have not breached our policy. We are not complacent about the need to implement them properly or the need to continually review our approach. We also recognise that the finance sector can play a greater role and that the wider market participants, growers, processors, consumer goods companies, NGOs and banks can work together more successfully to promote a sustainable palm oil sector and we will play our full part. Following my personal meeting with Greenpeace, we have decided to further strengthen our policy by expanding our prohibited businesses' commitment and making them consistent with no deforestation, no peat and no exploitation, so-called NDPE standards, which are increasingly common within the palm oil supply chain. We've also extended our policy to include refiners and traders, as well as growers and mills. And recognising public concern over the role of financial services in the palm oil sector, we will ask new customers for consent to disclose the relationship before providing any financial services. You can read our policy in full by clicking on the link contained within this post. Now we'll also be seeking to join the Banking Environment Initiative, which is linked to the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership, and we'll join the Tropical Forest Alliance, hosted by the World Economic Forum, which brings together governments, NGOs, and business to reduce tropical deforestation, improve the livelihood of smallhold farmers, conserve natural habitats and protect tropical landscapes. HSBC is committed to supporting sustainability in the palm oil sector and to continuously improve our approach. That has never existed before. So before when you when when a Greenpeace would approach banks, they say, oh, this this client is doing something terrible. Um, and then the, the, the bank says whatever. Um, but now that now Greenpeace says, oh, this client of yours is doing something terrible. And it's in direct violation of a policy that you've published. And that's a big difference. Right. So now all of a sudden. Uh, HSBC has a violation of their own policy on their hands, not just a request from some green group. Right. So HSBC, they don't really sink too many resources into this, but what they do do is they kind of pass the buck 
to the certification board. And in this case, we're talking about palm oil, right? So this is the uh, round table on sustainable palm oil. And this is the group that goes around to everyone's plantations and says, oh, yeah, you're sustainable. So you can sell your oil as sustainable oil. So there's a big market for sustainable oil, and it's worth more than stuff that has not been designated as sustainable oil. So HSBC, they went to this certification board and was like, what gives? Uh, when you guys went to these plantations, did what, how did they get approved? Because this plantation group, not only were they deforesting, but they actually were certified as sustainable palm oil. So there's a big problem there. Um, so what HSBC did essentially was ask this roundtable to review um, Noble Plantation's certification status, to send their auditors back there, to investigate what the Environmental Investigation Agency brought to the table, and to see if all this kind of nefarious activity is really going on. And if it is, they could have their certification suspended. Right. And... That might not sound terrible, but do you remember what happened to the IOI Corporation last year? Let me just interject to clarify things a bit. We brought up a third company here, IOI. It's another company that's certified under RSPO. Like Noble, it had joined all the right clubs and said all the right things, but other RSPO members accused IOI of playing dirty as far back as 2010. Then, in 2015, Amsterdam-based Aid Environment charged that IOI was not only clearing peatlands illegally, but running roughshod over customary landowners and chopping trees in a protected area. Rather than come clean, however, IOI pulled a Kellyanne Conway, denying the undeniable, defending the indefensible, and provoking a massive fight among RSPO members. Tensions escalated, and this time there were consequences, because unlike in 2010, hundreds of companies around the world had pledged to remove deforestation from their supply chains, and most of those companies had done so, at least in part, by choosing to buy products that were certified under organizations like RSPO. This according to analysis by Jonathan Leonard and the people at Supply Chain. All their customers who have commitments, essentially all their customers who are on the supply chain platform, who have pledged to only buy sustainable goods, they all could no longer purchase from IOI because IOI was now tainted tainted material. Um, so IOI lost like literally 50% of his customer base in a very, very short period of time, which anyone who's done procurement or sales knows that that's uh, very difficult to deal with. And you don't and really recover because you can't just bounce back and say, okay, now we're, now we're all sustainable. It almost did them in, or did it do them in? Did they go out of business? I, I don't know. No, they actually, they actually came back. They started down a really poisonous route of... of uh, <laughs> of recourse where they were trying to sue the certification board. That did not go over well. They kind of got a lot of backlash from that because it was just making them look even more like the bad guy. And then they, they stopped that. They, re- they, uh, they withdrew their lawsuit. And instead, they decided they were going to try to address the issues that had been brought up. Mm-hmm. They did address the issues that were brought up. And they have had their certification reinstated. I think it was like six months later or so. That was the idiotic thing. Their response was not 
oh my God, we're wrong. We're sorry. It was, oh, we're going to sue you. We're going to sue RSPO because we screwed up and you caught us and you called us on it. And we're going to sue you for taking away our certification. Yeah. Yeah. Just BC, I mean, to their credit, they very quickly said, oh, you know, they gave a mea culpa and they reversed themselves. There's a note from Greenpeace. That quote is, uh, they said, even even the most basic due, due diligence on these companies should have set alarm bells ringing, which raises the question, is HSBC failing to apply its policies altogether or just failing to apply sufficient scrutiny when assessing whether current or prospective customers comply? Yeah, and I mean, they've been under the gun. They made that policy for agriculture investments because they've been in hot water countless times in the last 10 years. You know, So this is just a reoccurring theme, and this is just the first time it's come up that they actually have a published policy in place. But the reason that they have a published policy in place is because they've gotten in hot water over this issue so many times. And I will say something in their kind of defense in this particular case is that I think what's likely what happened there is that this policy was quite new and that they probably had not had an opportunity to retroactively uh, cross-check all of their existing investments against the policy. If you use Skype, you know the sound of a dropped call. But we'll pick it up in a bit. Before I do, can I ask you a question? How am I doing? Do you like the show? Would you like more episodes? Maybe better produced to boot? With a second set of ears and better editing and pacing? If so, you can make that possible by giving me a good rating on iTunes or wherever you access the show. You can tell friends about me. Or best of all, you can become a patron at bionic-planet.com. I've set the patronage page up so that you can support me per episode but with a monthly cap. So if you think $5 per month is good for a five-episode month, you can pledge $1 per episode, but with a $5 monthly cap. That way, if I don't manage to generate five episodes in a month, you're not paying for something you didn't get. And if I go nuts and deliver 20 episodes one month, you won't get whacked either. By the same token, you can offer $5 per episode, or 10 or 50 or whatever. And finally, if you listen to audiobooks, you can support me by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash bionicplanet for a free 30-day trial at audible.com. The address again is audibletrial.com forward slash bionicplanet. And that's bionicplanet with no dots, dashes, or spaces as opposed to my website, which is bionic-planet.com. Okay, so shall I dive back in? Yeah, dive back in, and um, should also point out uh, to listeners uh, we're going through a PowerPoint presentation that you developed, and I'll probably I'll post this in the show notes. So if anybody wants to listen to this and follow along, that might be uh, might be worth doing. And right now we're on slide number. What slide number is this? Fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. Okay. So mm-hmm. so what happens next? Okay. Right. So here we have. For the first time, a major institutional investor has requested an, an investigation into deforestation committed by their own client. And so that's a first, and that's why we're talking about this. So in the IOI case we've been talking about from earlier, they hit rocks when their certification was revoked. Mm-hmm. In this case, I think people are just really primed for this now, mm-hmm. but it didn't even take that long for Noble to hit rocks. Mm-hmm. So immediately after this came out, Noble's shares just took a dive. 
Mm-hmm. Granted, this was one of many things that Noble's grappling with at the moment, and it's quite a diversified company, so it wouldn't mm-hmm. be fair to say that the drop would be completely attributable to this. But I think it's also fair to say that this was a substantial contributing factor, especially because when you put the time lapse of the um, announcement with the with the drop, it shows its own kind of steep uh, drop off like literally correlated with the announcement of this news. Yeah, so, and it looks like about a 70% drop peak to valley. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so this just shows that people are sensitive to this and that people are beginning to notice and care and companies are beginning to learn that not paying attention to these issues can be damaging to them. And that's really the moral of the story. So looping back to uh, the good cousin, Kafka, um, they remain unaffected. Even Noble Agri, which is now Kafka Agri, which would have faced serious negative effects if it was still under the, the Noble uh, umbrella, is now safely under the Kafka umbrella, where it is party to this avoidance of deforestation commitment, and it continues to prosper. What's the status of Noble's... RSPO certification right now? I think the whole group's going under. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Every news article I see from them, they're posting record losses, selling off this part of their business, that part of their business. I'd be surprised if they still existed in a couple of years. Wow. Mm. And and the other banks, have they come out and said anything? Like the, there was Rabobank, ABN AMRO, and ING. Yeah, none of them have made a big splash with any sort of response. Some of those banks are in the sort of deforestation discussion, so it's a bit disappointing that they didn't have a a response. Some of them are also part of the Soft Commodities Compact, which is essentially a compact of uh, institutional investors about what kind of commodity investments they're allowed to make. So, no, we haven't heard anything in this particular case from them, but they, they probably saw that HSBC had done... And, I don't know, instead of bandwagoning, just kind of let it go. Right, right, right. You, you track commitments uh, made by retailers and, uh, and manufacturers, etc. Do you track commitments made by banks? Not yet. Um, so that's kind of in, um, that's in, the, in the wings, and we're seeing more and more banks making commitments so it it is something that's gaining steam and will likely be included i know the the forest 500 includes uh some of them as power brokers Mm -hmm. so that's a good place to get information on on banks if you're looking to uh assess kind of lending policies Mm -hmm. so let's say you decide to check up on some companies See which ones are on the path of light and which are on the path of darkness. The Forest 500 that Jonathan mentioned will tell you which companies and even countries have made the most impressive pledges, and it ranks them accordingly. The site that he helps manage, which is Supply Change, that's supply-change.org, goes further. It tells you what companies are doing to actually keep their pledges or, more specifically, what progress they're reporting on the pledges they've made. I use it a lot in my research, and it saves me a ton of time. But it's not as user-friendly as some other sites, largely because the number of activities they track has increased exponentially since the project began. So I asked Jonathan to walk me through the site in case you want to give it a try yourself. 
So you go to the site, it's uh, supply-change.org, and you always get this pop-up for that report uh, you came up with, which I do think is worth reading. It's from March of this year, but if you don't do that, then you go and you click on Profiles in the lower left-hand corner, and then you start to get all these companies, and they're in alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're clicking on Associated British Foods. Okay. Yeah, right down the middle, you've got... Uh, the headquarters where the company is located, you've got its market capitalization, its annual revenue, ticker symbols, the sector that it's in, then within that, the, then the industry that it's in. Uh, maybe, maybe I can let you walk, me, walk us through this particular profile. Should I just let you do that, or do you want me to, uh, to just keep going and asking questions? Uh, sure, I can walk us through. Um, so yeah, we've got some ge- generic uh, financial information and, and company information here, such as industry and sector that the company operates in, uh, what kind of supply chain level they operate at, you know, like where, where they are in that, in that process, whether they're like, are they retail? Are they a producer? Right. Are they, are they a a company that's growing these crops or are they on the complete polar end where they're a company that's selling shampoo that happens to use a palm emulsifier, you know? So we've got this massive, massive value chain and they could fit anywhere on the value chain or in multiple places on the value chain. So that, that becomes quite con- confusing depending on whether the company is what we call horizontally integrated or vertically integrated. Um, they can occupy a, a number of spaces. Then here, perhaps one of the most important parts we have is the parent and subsidiary listings. This can, like, corporate ownership can become extremely confusing. Right. So we hear a lot about this with the, like, remember the Panama Papers and everything, um, shell corporations, lack of disclosure of beneficial owners of corporations, um, you know, corporations owning a hundred other corporations, you know, so it's, it's crazy. And then when you're trying to make commitments that correlate to these companies, like what happens when your company gets bought up by another company with a different commitment to, um, commodity to avoiding commodity linked deforestation you know then who whose whose commitment is now the commitment and how do you how do you get both the companies on the same page now that they're in the same family and this is just an ongoing problem and it it has been a tool of obfuscation for those who don't want a lot of uh transparency um so essentially tracking ownership is is one of the the biggest challenges we face at supply change and so that's that's quite a quite a useful section right there. Yeah, I remember we talked about that a while back when Kraft was talking about taking over Unilever and Unilever has a a pretty solid reputation in this area and Kraft not so much. But I was talking to the uh, Forest 500 uh where they were saying that okay, gee, what do we do? We've got Unilever that has a really high rating and we've got Kraft that has a, an average rating. What do we do if they merge in one company? And they were really wrestling with that. Yeah, yeah, and just weird things like when, so say like a big mega corporation like Nestle buys up kind of like a smaller, more environmentally focused firm, which is pretty common because the firms that have better environmental practices are becoming more popular with consumers, so big firms are buying them up. So like does this small firm get keep its its pre-existing deforestation or avoidance of deforestation commitment or does it get revoked and instead folded into the 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 parent companies um or sometimes they just have them literally both exist in tandem so that the the subsidiaries would factor into the parents but the subsidiary keeps its own independent commitment so kind of splitting these hairs um 
has a, a massive, massive effect upon who is liable for what was said, you know? So there we go. So below that, we've just got the, uh, all the assessments that we've picked up of this company for various things. They're usually commodity specific. So here we're looking at associated British foods. They were given a 36 out of 100 by, uh, the behind the brands, um, assessment CDP, the, uh, formerly the carbon disclosure project, which is a big disclosure platform for companies, has given them C's across the board for all of their commodities. Um, and Force 500 has given them a three out of five. So these are, the Associated British Foods has kind of been, kind of being displayed here as a sort of middle of the road um, actor in terms of actors who have actually made commitments. So you have to remember that the bar is very high. We're only investigating, when I say middle of the road, it's middle of the road of the companies who are actually engaging in this space, which is a minority. So you've got to keep that in mind. The middle of the high road, kind of. Okay. The middle of the high road, yes, exactly. <laughs> And so, you know, it just also includes things like links to all the documents where they make their claims, uh, uh, kind of uh, their annual volume of how much they trade in each of these commodities, um, how much progress they say they've made towards the goals that they've stated, um, any news articles that may have mentioned them in regards to deforestation issues, and um, yeah, and that's that's mainly it, alongside like sort of any Supporting, supporting factors which relate to deforestation but aren't exactly about deforestation, such as um, free prior and informed consent for indigenous peoples, um, traceability of your goods, which means do you know where your goods actually come from, and most companies don't, um, your pledge to legality and whatever specific laws might uh, be really applicable to you based on where you buy your goods from, um, and things like that. So yeah, and I guess one thing I just wanted to point out really quickly because this we I know you you just clicked on this randomly, but it's it's good it's a little bit of an outlier because it don't they only have it looks like the one commitment which is in Palm, and uh, if you scroll down, I think what 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 viewers will find if they go to most companies is they may find a general commitments entry uh, at the bottom which shows their their overall like their overall commitments, and then you can click on individual commodities. In this case, Palm is the only one they have, and it shows that their commitment, what they've said is that they will have 100% of their palm oil will be offset by green palm certificates, and then you can click through to see their actual report, and then their self-reported progress in 2015 was 66%. And then one other thing I just want to make sure we do point out to people is you're, you, you update these manually, and sometimes it takes a long time. This is one that's... It's been a long time. It's been a while since you updated. That's something I think people should be aware of because it's when you're when you've got it's basically two guys going through hundreds and hundreds of these. It, I mean, it's understandable that some of them might be uh, older than a few months. So if you get if you get one that's this old, you might want to um, maybe do your own digging a bit. But uh, right with that, is that something um, we should a caveat that we should throw in there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. It depends on how. Um how how recent you need the information to be you know if you're trying to get a, f a flavor of the company or find out its history it might not be as important but if you're looking at something yeah extremely recent um then yeah you would need to you might need to do uh some digging yourself mm -hmm. okay okay so now so that's good so you've got all these companies and and you also you're tracking individual commitments it's it's always been confusing too we talk about 400 companies but you're tracking something like 800 commitments i think because some companies have more than one commitment, so there's 
you know, there's a little bit of confusion in that. And, uh, and I think a lot of the companies that have commitments, one of the findings you had in that, that report that you came out with in March was that consumer-facing companies in North America and, and Europe tended to be the most, the most aggressive at establishing commitments. And once you get into developing countries, not so much, right? And that's, I think, the direction we're, we're going to be going pretty soon. Yes, exactly. And where we're, everyone's looking now is almost not even to what, not even to developing countries, but to recently developed countries, which are, which have gone through the development process. They're now economic powerhouses and trade powerhouses, yet their kind of environmental policies are still similar to those of a developing country. And people are kind of wondering when that's going to change and when um, those policies are going to be kind of brought up to speed with the rest of the post-industrialized world. That's Jonathan Leonard of Supply Change wrapping up this episode of Bionic Planet. If you like what you hear, be sure to help by sharing Bionic Planet with friends and giving me a good rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you access podcasts. You can also help by becoming a patron at bionic-planet.com where you can show your appreciation for as little as $1 per month. I'm still working through a backlog of material, some of it from the year-end climate talks in November, and I'm heading to the airport now to catch a flight to Washington, D.C., where I'll be attending the Ecological Restoration Business Association meeting over the next few days. They'll be looking at the business of ecological restoration in the current U.S. political climate. If I have the bandwidth, I'll crank out an episode from there. If not, I'll be sure to gather some good material and come back for something a little more comprehensive. Anyway, until next time, I'm Steve Zwick in Chicago. Thanks for listening.